Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have to gather this evening to study your word. We trust you, Lord, that you will teach us and that you will help us to understand what you are telling us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I want to, again, remind us that our teachings is focused on the diversity of uh, audience we have. We, it's not like when we were meeting in the church. Now people listen to us through so many platforms. And so we are going to be presenting our teachings in recognition of that. So, so there are things you've had before. But by the love of Jesus, you should let somebody else hear it. There are things that ought to be repeated because of the uh, kind of audience we are talking to now. This thing is going out through so many platforms. Uh, just recently, somebody grabbed my hand. He said, uh, I listen to you every Thursday. He said, on my phone, I have you on my speed dials. Like, you know. So I said, wow. So we need to also take that into consideration. So we're going to repeat things so that everybody will understand that. And if you've had it before, hear it again. So that's what I just want to make clear. So we are focusing on the role of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual growth, part four. Our text is John 6, 63. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, by way of introduction, we cannot overemphasize the need to develop ourselves spiritually so that we improve on the percentage of our actions that are of the spirit so that the more of what we do should be of the spirit rather than of the flesh. It's, it's something that is beneficial to you as an individual because now if you engage your flesh and your flesh guides you, the Bible just told us that it accomplishes nothing. So what would be the benefit in engaging in something that will not accomplish anything for you? And that way you can lose very important Things that impact your family, your lives, your job, your health, your finances, your relationship with God. I mean, something that does not profit you anything. So why should that be the guiding dominant thing in anybody's life? Which means you will only produce things that will not profit you anything. So at the end of the day, you are the primary loser in this whole thing. So that's why it's important that we must develop ourselves spiritually because the benefit accrues to us first and then to people over whom God has given us the grace to bring influences. <clears throat> now, the scripture also mentions the unprofitable works of darkness. Ephesians 5:11 talks of unprofitable works of darkness. Now, if something is unprofitable, so why should I really engage in it? That's another question. It says and have no fellowship with the unfruitful, some, some translations say unprofitable, works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful. 
even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now we all understand what the scripture is referring to. These things that are evil, that we're not proud of, things we can't even testify about. You know, the scripture is saying they are not fruitful, they are not they are profitable. So why, why engage in them? They are not the things of the spirit, obviously. They are the things of, it is of the spirit, it is of demonic world, it's not of the kingdom of God. God is light, so it does not produce things of darkness. So, and again, the scripture mentions, encourages us to be adults in understanding. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. We need to be mature in understanding matters of this kind. And so, um, it's also in our own benefit to really mature, to really grow spiritually. It's not something you are doing for anybody. You're really doing it for yourself. It's just like physically, if you are not growing physically, you are the one to suffer the disadvantage. Nobody else. Now, God says he's not going to put up with immaturity all the time. He's not going to put up with that. So that's another thing that should help us to really understand that we need to grow up spiritually. In Genesis 3, 6, 3, it's, it, God says, then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifestyle will be, will be no more than 120 years. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put up with their carnality, with their living in the flesh, I'm going to, I'm going to at a point, allow them to live the, what, the, the, the life they chose for themselves. So, you, you know, God is not going to hang on putting up with our immaturity forever. At a point, he will let us do what we choose to do, or what we choose to do. Now, this is an example in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs, miracles. Now, those of you who are crazy about miracles, you should be reading scriptures like this. Everything that is miraculous, supernatural, is not God. You must convince yourself of this thing because the scripture teaches that. Miracles don't always authenticate the truth. It is scriptures that authenticate the truth, primarily. 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 The primary authentication of truth is the written word of God. It is the scriptures. If it's not scriptures, forget about the miracles. Even if somebody was raised from the dead. There are miracles that the Holy Spirit does, but he does it to confirm the truth to confirm the truth, which the, which the same scripture he wrote agrees with. So now I say, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool, see those he's fooling, to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that will save them. They're not interested in knowing the truth. They just want power. 
one miracle. Verse 11. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. I told you the other time, there are people you just can't help because they sold themselves out to this junk. They just want to believe it because they are, it's, to them, this is power. This is God. So, he says, because they don't love the truth, God will just allow them to enjoy their choice. And deceit will be the portion that they will take. Now, this teaching, therefore, we can see how important this teaching is to us. And so, last week, we started to look at Paul's frustration. His attempt to live a life he knew he should be, he should live, but he wasn't able to do that. And then, like we said last week, a lot of Christians are in this boat, struggling to get healing, struggling to get this, struggling to live right, struggling. Their prayer doesn't work, so many things not working, struggling and struggling. Because the spirit life is not just to live a life of Christ. It's not just to live in obedience, but to also live in power of Christ. To be an expression of the totality of Christ, who he is. To experience everything he died for you. To give you. To live by faith. To live in the realm where all things are possible. Not in the realm of the natural. Is the realm of the spirit, a higher order of life, the spirit life. So Paul was struggling. Paul was certainly struggling. And he lost this battle with his flesh completely. Now let's listen to him where we stopped last, last Thursday. Let's listen to Paul, Romans 7, 21. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is sin. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you can see how it is now. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Now, TPT put verse 25 like this. I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. So if, if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now, my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. Left to my own, I will lose this battle. But now my renewed mind is fixed on Christ. Fixed on God's righteous principles, which is faith in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are saved from all this And so certainly at this stage of Paul's life, he was a spiritual baby, living only by his carnal impulses. He was not a spirit man, but a carnal man. Now, this is how the Bible describes such a Christian. And you want to listen, again, because this is what you want to grow out of. First Corinthians 3.1, however, brethren, 
I could not talk to you as to spiritual men, but as to unspiritual men of the flesh in whom the carnal nature predominates. The carnal nature dominates that life. The flesh dominates that life, not the Holy Spirit, not the Spirit of Christ, not the new nature. As to mere infants now, in the new life in Christ, unable to talk yet, verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet strong enough to be ready for it. But even yet, you are not strong enough to be ready for it. You are still unspiritual, having the nature of the flesh under the control of ordinary impulses for as long as there are envying, jealousy, wranglings, factions among you. Are you not unspiritual and of the flesh? And like we said on Thursday, you can add every other walk of the flesh there. Anger tantrums, gossiping. You can add it all over the place. Greed, lying, pride. It's all there. So the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing Paul to a place where he was matured and grown in the spirit life, and no more living by the dominance of his flesh, but by the dominance of the new man in whom Christ lives. And now Christ has control of him through the work he does, and even testifies, and now the love of God controls me. So it's no more his flesh that is controlling him, but the love of God. So the transition is what we want to look at because we can learn something for our own transition too. Now, I want to, talk, I want to say something here. Paul came to a point where the lordship of Jesus became dominant in his life because the spirit of Christ lives in his spirit. And when he subjected himself to the control of his spirit, he subjected himself to the control of the spirit of Christ who he described as the love of God that controls him now. Now, let me say something about the lordship of Jesus. Many times when we talk about the lordship of Jesus, we have this picture of a lord sitting up there and then saying, you must do this, you must do that. That's the general picture. That's the picture I got growing up as a Christian. And so it, it, it didn't even give me the picture of somebody who loves me. Give me a picture of a judge, a harsh person. You know, if you, if you make one mistake here, he will hear your prayers again. If you come before him, you must count all your sins. You must name them one by one. You must name them so he can now forgive you. Otherwise, he won't hear your prayer. That's the kind of thing that I was taught. That's what I was taught. So I didn't see him as somebody who loved me. I saw him as a fearful God. And they would teach us that God is consuming fire. That instilled fear in me. It instilled fear. Didn't, it didn't build my relationship with him based on love. So the lordship of Jesus, I, don't, I think it's a little different. Well, what I think doesn't really matter. <laughs> I believe it's a little different. What the lordship of Jesus implies is that he wants you to surrender all to him so he can take control of your life. Like he put it himself, he said, Come unto me, all you that are heavily laden. Give me your burden. Let me carry it and work it out for you while you rest. 
let me be Lord over you, not in the way of dominance. Because he told us, you don't lord it over people in my kingdom. So his lordship is not lording it over us. You're sitting up there, and then he said, you must do it. He didn't do it correctly. He said, don't lord it over people. He said, you lead by love. So his lordship is, let me do what you can do. Let, let me make myself available to, to, to help you. Get me your weakness, give me your load of life. Let me carry it, and then you rest. I have come to take over and do for you those things you couldn't do. And so when I do that, you couldn't do better than I would do. You can't do better than I would. That's what this lordship is. It's to say, let me hand over this thing to the Lord, to my healer, to my helper, to my life, to the strength of my life. You, you hand over my life. You, that's why we say surrender your life to Christ. That's what the Lordship means. So when I surrender it to him, then he takes over my life and he will make me what he wants me to be. He will manifest himself through me. He will live his life through me. First John 4, 9. In this the love of God was manifested to us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Through him. We live by dependence on him, through him. So now, having had this, let us go to what the Holy Spirit now taught Paul about what Christ did for him, which he couldn't do himself. The things that Jesus accomplished for him that Paul couldn't do. You know, most of the time we tell people, come, you know, change, make effort to change. That's wonderful. But we, we don't have to overlook the change which Christ wrought in us. I always say that if you forget this change, you are going nowhere. Because a leopard cannot change his skin. That's what the scripture says. We must recognize, understand the change which Christ himself, which God Almighty wrought in me and wrought in you, which you couldn't do yourself. Come unto me, all you that are heavenly lady. Struggling to do this, struggling to do that. He said, give it to me. He came. And so the Holy Spirit began to reveal to Paul those things that God made available, that God did, that brought him transformation for which all that Paul needed to do was just believe them. Because God, Jesus said, I didn't come to put burden on you. He said, my yoke is easy. I, don't, I didn't come here to put any yokes on you people. Come to break yokes, not to put them. So the first thing that we read here is that the Spirit of God showed him that Christ was his ability. That this power of God the spirit of Christ, the power of God, the ability of Christ was at his disposal. I'm like, what? Yeah. That thing you'll be struggling to do. <laughs> There's a greater power that God sent to help you. Because of the weakness of your flesh, your flesh couldn't do that. But God sent his son a greater power. The only hope of glory for you, the only hope of overcoming that thing is Christ. He sent him, so he made his power available. And Paul said, no, now I can do all things. Wow, this struggle is over. I can do all things through the strength that Christ provides me. 
So he realized that God has made available to him at his own disposal the awesome power of Christ that lives in him. So he can do all things through that power. So he can now overcome all those things he was struggling with only through that power. Romans 7, 5, when we were merely living natural lives, you see, he began to compare, <laughs> you know, when you have an experience, you can't but tell because it's an exciting experience. Paul had an incredible experience with Jesus. That's why he fell in love with Jesus so much. He, he had an incredible experience, I'm telling you. Encounters and realities in his life, he saw Christ at work in him. And he said, man, I'm everything I am because of the grace of God that is working in me. Now he said, there was a time we were merely living natural life. That's the one he was talking about, his frustration. He said, in me, there's nothing good. This thing won't let me do anything. Because he didn't know that he had the power of Christ at his disposal. So he was only dealing with the only thing he knew was to do something by his own will, by his own determination. But he didn't know that he had a power that could do all things. A spirit-sourced power. So he said then, when we were merely living natural lives, which means excluding the spiritual component. Natural lives, the law through defining sin, actually awakened sinful desires within us, which resulted in bearing the fruit of death. So when you, when you teach people the law, you, you will breed sin. Because now, after teaching them the law, they will resort to their flesh to be able to do it and they fell flat like a pack of cats. Because they're living natural lives. They're living natural lives. They know they shouldn't do this. But they try and fail. They're living natural lives. They are not deploying this power that Christ brought. They are using natural ability. And because of that, sin defined, law defines sin and placata everybody on the floor. The scriptures say what the, law, what the law could not do, Christ did it. The law could not change man. The law could not change man. So Paul said in verse 6, but now that we have been fully released from the power of the law, we are dead to what once, what, what once controlled us. Our lives are no longer motivated by the obsolete way of following the written codes, trying to live natural life. The Christian should not tell lies. You try to not tell lies. The Christian should not commit adultery. You try to not. A Christian should not, you know, living with natural limitations. And truly, a Christian shouldn't do those things. The, the Christian should not do those things. That's why I said these things are true, and I know I shouldn't do them. But how to do them, I didn't know. How? I didn't know. Paul said, verse 6, but now that we have been fully released from the power of the law, which means we don't follow the law anymore. It's not, the law is not a determining, it's not a determining factor in our lives. There is a different source of power there's a different person greater than the law that has come into our lives, taking it over to guide us and to lead us. We really don't need the law no more. That's why when Christ came, the law came to an end. The law ended when Jesus came. The ministry of Moses ended when Jesus came. He brought grace and brought truth. So I came to bear witness to the truth. He prayed the gospel. 
He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to set you free, break yokes, break bondages. That's what I came to do. All these yokes and inabilities come to put an end to that. He said, this is the acceptable year, the time of grace and mercy. We are getting this because of grace and mercy. So, so Paul said, verse 6, but now that we have been fully released from the power of the law, we are dead to what once controlled us. And our lives are no longer motivated by the obsolete way of following the written codes. So that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, this new life is powered by the Holy Spirit. Man, he said, I have something different. Not the natural, not the living natural thing, trying to obey this, no. He said, there's something new. I have a new life that Christ is in me, providing the power of his spirit. This power can do anything. It can do anything. That's why I said, I now found out the secret secret of life. Whether I have something or don't have something, to be satisfied. Why? He said, I can do all things through Christ. I can. It's not a question of when this thing was controlling me and I said, who can deliver me from this? No, 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 no. I can do all things now. I can subject it. I can. Through Christ, I can do it. Through the power. He said, I knew life. The freshness. The freshness is, I'm no more struggling. I've entered the rest. There is a new life. I've entered Christ's rest. There's a new life in whom he lives and the power is surging from him and this power can do anything. The power is not of me. Power is of him. And then the Spirit told him, Paul, it's not only that you have the power of Christ at your disposal, but God created you, gave you a new fabric, a new spiritual fabric, Paul. You're not the Paul that you were when you were born from your parents. And Paul said, wow, really? Yes. Looking at yourself, Paul, inside of you is another Paul that has a new nature. It's like the nature of God. Paul, you have the nature of God. Really? Yeah. Jesus called it being born again. Born of the Spirit. You came from the Spirit. You are sourced from God now. You came Naturally, from parents, God created you through your parents, but this one, God created you through his spirit, directly from him, with no intermediary, directly from him, through Christ. Ephesians 2, for we are God's masterpiece, bread and tea. This will blow your mind. When you wake up and say, ah, whoa, I'm God's masterpiece. Quit means I am the handwork God made, a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can now do now, you see, what we couldn't do. But now we are created and now we're able to do them. Because we have a new nature, a new power, a spirit being. We can now do the things God planned for us long ago. Before this creation of masterpiece, we couldn't. But now we can. Ephesians 4.20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, I have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature. 
your former way of life, which is corrupted by loss and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Let him teach you. So you have a new understanding. And then your attitudes will change. So you can now put on the new nature. You know, this, the Holy Spirit keeps writing about this new nature. This new nature created to be like God. He now describes this new, new person. This person is truly righteous and holy. You know, brethren, what we say, we, we, you can be saying the correct things, but your heart does not accept it. Because it doesn't make sense. When in reality you look at yourself, we've trained ourselves to walk by sight for years. And unfortunately, it's to be regretted that mostly people, the church has been led by sense knowledge men, not revelation men. So most people are tied up to walking by sight, walking by laws, following Moses. So when you bring up this revelation that the Holy Spirit is giving to us, they kind of shrink from it. It's unfortunate. But this is the truth if you know. It will set you free. You stop struggling. And you find sometimes we weave, sometimes we hear it, we say, yeah, yeah. And when we're talking about we weave between this and that, we talk this, then before long we mix it up with the natural life again. We mix because we're confused. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Jesus said, these people, their heart is far from me. It's only with their mouth they worship me. This thing they are saying. In their heart, they don't believe it too. I'm telling you, sometimes we weave, you know, we weave between this what Christ did, and then pretty long we shift over again to this other one. Because we're totally confused. We're not grounded. We're not rooted in this truth. I hear some people say, Pastor, you know, oh, I've been healed. And then in the conversation, they say, you know, he will hear me. I've been healed. He will hear me. You're wondering which one is his testimony here. And with this kind of testimony, nothing will happen. Because it's neither here nor there. It's vacillating between two people. Pastor, you know, God healed me. Ah, I really have faith, you know. I just thank God I'm believing. I'm really believing that it will happen. (laughs) Look at that. Pastor, I believe God healed me. Pastor, I'm believing it will happen. Where are you standing? Confusion. Because we have not learned the principles of faith thoroughly. And when these things are being taught, we don't even give it attention. And yet, this is the way you have victory. Consistency of testimony. Romans 6, 3 to 7. Oh, have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we are buried with Christ by baptism. See what the Holy Spirit is teaching the church. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We may live new lives. New lives. You didn't have it before. He created you new. Being born again should not be a Pentecostal jargon. It should be a reality which we live by daily. 
You should go to God and say, Lord, reveal to me who I am. This being born again, what is it? It's not just a prayer. I, I'm, I'm born. I'm born, born. Some are born, wuru, wuru. Some, you know, born. Me, I'm born. Born, born, born. Are you born? Yes, I'm born. What is being born again? I'm born again, shall. I'm born. Born, born, I'm born. You know, many people can't explain what is being born again. Many. And they've been in church for a long time. They struggle to explain it because they don't know what it is. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that, this is what we know. Have you known this now? Paul said we know this, we come to know this. The Spirit of God taught us this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Do you know this? Have you come to realize this? Why should I preach sin when it's been crucified? If I'm preaching sin, it's how many ignorant of this. If I'm preaching sin, it's because I think that sin is still alive. So much alive. <clears throat> but it says that sin has been crucified. The, we, that sin might lose its power in our lives. We were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Why not teach me that you are no more a slave to sin? Why not tell me that? So I can believe and experience The next verse. So when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit is revealing to Paul. You've been set free from this thing you are struggling with and saying, who, who will deliver me? No, you've been delivered longest time. Christ accomplished this deliverance for you. Don't say, who will deliver me from this body of sin? No, Christ already did it. You are born again. Your new nature doesn't have the nature of sin, does not respond to sin. Verse 8. Okay, verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. When, we, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 11. Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. You, that you, are not you know what dead means? You are unresponsive to the power of sin and alive. You are alive to God through Christ Jesus, through your union with him, through the new life you have. Through the new life you have, verse 12. Verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live now because you have the power to say no. You have the power to say no. You can't die Paul and say, who will deliver me from this? That's nothing like that. You have the power to say no. Because the power of Christ has been made available to you, given at your disposal. You have a new nature that doesn't yield to this thing. So you have the power to say no. Do not give in to sinful desires. You, you can't do this. Because you can do all things through that power that Christ has given us. But you know, Paul didn't know all these things before. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, either way, Christ's love controls us now. See what he's saying in the New Testament? Since we believe that Christ died for all, that's what he wrote to the Romans, that Christ died for all, 
we also believe that we, we, we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, talking of being born again, new life, new life, new life. We no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. Because this new life is not selfish. Who died and was raised for them? So we have stopped evaluating others from human point of view. When I was living in this human point of view, in this natural life, sin controlled me. Because I was ignorant of what Christ has done, of the freedom I have, of the power available to me, of the new nature I have. It was just by mouth. Mouth, mouth, mouth. But our heart is rejecting it. I'm failing. I'm hiding it. Read about the old church. They accepted this. this. And the Bible said they moved in the power of the spirit, in comfort of the spirit. They were united. People would sell their things and bring for another brother to eat. It was nothing to them. The, the love of God united them. When they prayed, the whole place shook up. The whole place shook up. They were really united. In Christ, that spirit bonded them together. At one time, I'm not done with that verse. That is Second Corinthians verse five. You can go to verse verse fifteen or fourteen or sixteen. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life. We no longer live for themselves. I mean, if husband and wife, we walk in this truth, they don't need, they don't need teaching to be husband and wife. Don't need it. Because if I'm not living for myself, you're not living for yourself. That is marriage in heaven. We can't even get husband and wife to agree. <laughs> Talk of Christian agree. We can't, I mean, we can't get husband and wife to agree. Everybody, everybody's right. Because the heart is far away from the truth, far away from Christ. It's only a mouth and born again and born, born, born. The heart is far. It's not believing these things. It's not accepting this truth that will set free and bring us into the liberty that Christ paid to give us so that you can embrace your wife regardless of whatever. Oh. That spirit of Christ that loves him will control you. And control him. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. So why husband and wife quarreling? Because they're living for themselves. That's why. They have not accepted this truth. They have not. Their heart is far away from God. Far away. Oh, so far. What I've accepted is, is values that God has nothing to do with. What their friends are telling them, their cultures are telling them, the television is telling them, that's what they've accepted. Continue, I'm not done. Bring it up.
Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and raised them up. The next verse. The next verse. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. He different, how differently we know him now. Is there no difference how you know Christ now from when you got saved the first time? Isn't, isn't there a, a revelation, a growth in your revelation of who he is that you can say, wow, I used to know him like this. Now I know him like this. How differently we know him now? Continue. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The same new life is what the Holy Spirit keeps pointing the church to. New person, new life, new life he gave you. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. I told somebody, I said, do you know? I said, you know, if you, if you go to somebody and say, forgive me, you know, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, I said, think of what God did for us. We were sinners. We hated him. We are wrong. And Christ came here and said, okay, I'm the wrong. I'm, the wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. Please come. Let's make peace. I'm the sinner. You are, let me give you the right. You are righteous. But I, I'm the one. Crucify me. I said, if you compare that to what we do, we find it difficult to forgive people. But the God himself came down here and said, I am the sinner. Come and be reconciled to me. Let me die for you. Let me die for you. Please come. Let's reconcile. On my own account. Okay, who is right or wrong? I'm wrong. Come. I come. I'm wrong. And I'll take the punishment for you. May God open our eyes. May God open our eyes. May God open our eyes. Ah, may God open our eyes to know Christ. And all this religious junk will go away. So we must now depend on these things that Christ did, the life he gave us, the power he made available, the new life that is not selfish, that is love itself, that has the nature of God. We must have to depend on that. Philippians 3.2, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the, are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus had done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Of course, Paul knows what he's talking about. He used to. He got frustrated. When he relied on Christ, the, spirit of, the love of Christ began to control him. He said, we don't put confidence in human effort. We tried that, he felt. We were in bondage, but we found the truth. He set us free. We rely now I'm a new creature. I say, consider, believe that sin is no more your master. What Christ has done, shatter the power of sin over us. Those who live under the message of grace, the truth of grace, the Bible says sin will not dominate you anymore because you have the power of Christ in you. 
you have a nature that does not respond to that. Our boast, therefore, and confidence should be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. Because of the cross. <clears throat> because of that cross. Because of the cross, brethren, because of what Jesus did, he gave me a new life. I died with him, rose with him in a new life that has no interest in this world. He said this new life does not respond, is dead to sin, dead to the world. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. We parted ways because I have a new nature. Completely new nature. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Not the laws of Moses transferred into this new life. Is it dominating you? Is this new creation real? Is it dominating your life or is the flesh dominating you? You know, before Jesus came, our flesh had no answer. It was the boss. It was doing what they liked. In Ephesians 2 from verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. <laughs> obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is a, the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to believe that way. All of us. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. The devil, our sinful nature. We, we used to live that way. All of us. The flesh had no answer. Anything he wants you to do, you do. Anything. You can go to, be going to church and be doing what it's controlling you, and the devil is using the flesh to control us. That's what the Holy Spirit said. He said, he said we were and following the passionate desire, not just desire, passionate desire and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. The, the flesh the, the, was on the rampage. That's why you should be, you should be compassionate to people. Stop arguing with people. You don't argue with the devil. You, you don't do that. All this argument and argument, you, you can't do it that way. You need to pray. You need to pray in serious prayer for the world and pray for the church in supplication. You have to. That's very important. That's the ministry of priests that God assigned to us. And then because of this nature, Romans 6.20, for when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. God said, you are free from doing righteousness. I didn't expect you to do any righteousness. Verse 21, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now, as you know before, we are proud of them. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ, there's people are still doing these things. I'm proud of them. But he told us for the end of those things is death, just in case we don't know. That verse 20, New Living Translation says, when you were slaves to sin, 
you are free from the obligation to do right. God said, I am not expecting you to do anything right. You see, this is the people God gave the law. He know they won't keep it. He know won't keep it. He gave out the law to expose our sinful nature. He said, I'm, I, I'm not expecting you to do right. He said, because you know, how can a, a, a leper change the skin? You people that are accustomed to doing evil. You've fallen from grace, bred in sin and trespasses. But he gave us 10 commandments. We couldn't keep it. Because if he didn't give it to us, we come to God and say, quit sin, did I commit? Quit sin. Just there was no law, quit sin. And God said, I gave you so every mouth will shut up. <laughs> every mouth will be stopped. And that all the world will know that they are sinners. But the good news is Christ came, set us free, and gave us a new life, gave us his spirit to live in us, gave us the power to live the life that God planned for us, gave us the nature that lives that kind of life. Romans 6, 18. Now, you are free from your slavery to sin. I feel like shouting praise the Lord here. And you have become slave to righteousness. Sure, our new nature is separated from the world. It's now a slave to God, because the spirit of Christ lives in us. Verse 22. But now you are free from the power of sin. I have become slaves of God. Twice the spirit of God wrote this thing. Now you, now you do think those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. That's who we are now. That's what we should be believing. But you know the flesh in which our spirit lives it's alive and has its own mind. It's alive and has its own mind. And so the Bible calls it a house. Second Corinthians 5.1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, this flesh is called it the earthly house of this tabernacle. It's not a spiritual being. It's earthly house. If it is, we have a building of God, and house not made of hands, eternal in the heavens. So this body is, is earthly. So it has its own nature and its own mind. What God delivered us from is our spiritual inner nature that was sinful. But this one was made from, it's from here, from sun. It's from this earth. It's not, it didn't come from heaven. It's from this earth. So it has this sinful nature now. And so we must learn to also control it. If we have to, if we have to grow spiritually, we need to learn to control this, this outer body. It's very much alive. It has its own desire. It has its own mind. And it wants to exp express itself. Now, our lives as we live it is like a car. So we, we need to constantly, constantly cost correct ourselves because the flesh wants to push me in this direction. And the scripture said, I can now say no to it. Before Christ came, it was rampaging, doing everything. But now I can control it and say I'm not doing that. Because now I'm the master. He's not the master. Because I reign on earth. Before Christ came, he was doing everything with the devils, but now no more. The devil is under my feet, and the power of Christ is given to me. I can say no, you're not doing that. So the scripture says we must learn to control our flesh. Romans 6, 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourself be slaved to impurity and lawlessness. Previously. 
which laid over, which laid over deeper into sin. But now, you must give yourself to be slave to righteous, righteous living, so that you will become holy. He said, previously, sin used to control you. God didn't even expect you to do good. But now, he's giving you his nature, ability, giving you all you need. He said, now, God expects you to now follow Christ. Live the life that he suffered to give you. Verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, but you, are now, you now have a new life. Keep talking about this new life we have. So you use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You are living Christ. The Son has set you free. When we were under the law, Christ hadn't come. We were slaves to sin, but no more. Now we're set free. That's what the Holy Spirit is teaching us. 1 Corinthians 9.27. Paul said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Why is Paul talking like this? Brethren, listen to me. The flesh is dangerous. Oh, we talk about Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. The flesh is extremely toxic and dangerous. Look at what the scripture says about the flesh. The tongue. James 3, 8, 6. And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sun. Some total of wickedness. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness. Some total of wickedness. And it's the most dangerous part of human body. The tongue alone. Very dangerous. He says the most dangerous part of human body. The tongue can destroy your life. The tongue can make you sick. The tongue can destroy your family, destroy your marriage, destroy your career, ruin you, kill you, make you commit suicide. This tongue. The flesh is very, very dangerous. Church, you must know this and run away from control of the flesh. Romans 8, 13. For if you are living according to the impulses of the flesh, you are going to die. Man, this is very, very dangerous. Jesus said, hey, if your flesh will lead you to, if your right hand will lead you to, to destruction, cut it off. It's as serious. It doesn't mean physically cutting off your hand. But he said, no matter how important that thing is, cut it off. This thing, he said, better you go to heaven with, without it, down you go. This thing leads you to death. Paul said, if I allow it, I can preach to everybody, it will lead me to destruction. The flesh is very, you must know this from today. We think devil, 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 yes, but the, de the flesh is more dangerous than the devil. Because the flesh opens the door to the devil. The flesh and the devil walk hand in hand. The f he says, if you follow the flesh, you shall surely die. The Spirit of God says, your tongue is the most dangerous part of you. So, we need, to, we need to then think of cost correction is that we must take repentance seriously. I want to close with this. Repentance is very, very key in keeping yourself growing in the spirit life because you cost correct yourself, like we said. You generally cost correct yourself. It's called repentance. 
It's a very useful tool to maintain fellowship with the Holy Spirit, repentance. We must take the issue of repentance from our sinful, worldly ways seriously. It always brings you back to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You must. If you do not, you will develop hardened heart that is resistant to the truth. You will perpetuate yourself in what you are doing. And, and you continue to resist God thinking you are doing the right thing. That will breed ground for demons and, and the devil and evil to, to multiply in your life. Proverbs 10, 23 says, don't toy with these fleshly things. Don't, don't, don't make, for, even on television, all these things. Look at Romans 10, 23. To do evil is like sport to a fool. How can evil entertain you, Christian? There's nothing, most things we watch today, you, you must see something demonic and evil there. Even advertisements. How can you sit down and let it entertain you? You call it sport? The Bible says, to do evil is like a sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. Don't talk with these things. They will penetrate your heart and, and affect you and, and steal you away from commitment to righteousness and make you tear towards those things that teach you. They create images in you. And these things happen subtly. Genuine repentance is not a casual thing, church. It must come from the heart. Genuine repentance is not a casual thing. We've been, it's not a casual thing. The Bible doesn't teach that. 2 Corinthians 17. For the kind of sorrow God wants. God, there's sorrow God wants when you do something wrong. There's sorrow. You see, this, this taking this part doesn't mean much. Are you kidding me? This thing kills. Are you joking? It took God's son to take us away from it. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. There's sorrow and abhorring something that makes you go away from it. There is, there is expression of real sorrow that makes you stop that thing. But you think it's sport? You think it doesn't matter because Jesus died? Am I reading New Testament or Old Testament here? That's why when we do things, we don't go and apologize. We, th we think it's okay like that. Let me tell you something. There are things that is, you, you are holding up in your life because you are not doing what God, you to, God told you to do. There are people God has told you to go and apologize what you need to do. You are not doing it. And you are praying long prayer. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin, results in salvation, setting you free from that thing. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, quit lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Worldly sorrow is because you are, you are angry because somebody told on you. They found out what you are doing. How did they know? Is that what you should be concerned about? Or that you, you are doing what grieves God and what is harming you? Don't you understand? The Bible said people who are wise, they don't cause sin spot. It's not a joking matter. Because your ego is being, will be touched. James 4, 7. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. 
Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Am I reading New Testament? Is this, is this, am I, is this Genesis? Let there be, let there be, play the game. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Repentance is not casual. Deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, making him think it's a joke. And gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up in honor. God looks at our heart. God looks at our heart. Then finally, we need to maintain a good conscience. A good conscience. First Timothy 1.19, cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences as a result their faith has been shipwrecked. Your conscience is telling you what you are doing is wrong. You violate it. You'll be resisting it at a point, it becomes dead. It says you will wreck your faith. Second Timothy 1 3. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did, night and day, I constantly remember in my, in my prayer. Paul said, I serve God with a clear conscience. Face Peter 3 16. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. Let us pray. Precious Father, we just want to thank you again for what you are teaching us here. These things impair our fellowship with God. And so we can't hear you. We get confused. We really get confused because we are allowing the works of darkness to encompass us. But you are telling us that we can get away from these things. Come out from among them, from them and be separate. You're teaching us very serious stuff here. That if we want you to lift us up in honor, we must see evil for what it is. The thing that grieves the Spirit of God must also grieve us. The thing that grieves God must grieve us. If it doesn't grieve us, we're not serious. The thing that grieves God, brings God grief, must grieve us too. Otherwise, we're not in sync with that same spirit. Our heart is being stolen gradually to call evil spot. Father, I pray that you help us as we believe the gospel. So we deploy the power it provides to say no to these things that are destructive, that hamper our relationship with you. Many people, they don't know what, they can't hear you. They're confused. But the steps of a good man is always ordered by you. All these things that trip us off, you warned us that they trip us off. They affect us. I pray that you help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.